Welcome to Alabama AgCast, a weekly conversation about news and issues affecting Alabama farmers and forest landowners. Alabama AgCast is produced by the Alabama Farmers Federation. Hello and welcome to this week's Alabama AgCast. I'm your host, Mike Moody. In the studio today, we've got John Allen Nichols. John Allen is the Agriculture Council for the Alabama Farmers Federation. John Allen, how are you doing today? I'm great, Mike. It's good to be here. It's good to have you here. We're going to be talking about Right to Farm, and in particular, a 2010 bill that passed called the Alabama Family Farm Preservation Act. Before we get started, though, how about a disclaimer? I've always got to give it. Um, So the information presented in this podcast is strictly intended to be exclusively educational in nature. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as legal or professional advice. Very well done. And we didn't even have to speed it up. In 2010, the Alabama legislature passed the Alabama Family Farm Preservation Act, also known as the Right to Farm Law. Uh, What is a Right to Farm Law? So Right to Farm Law, um, they exist across the country, and it it is a law designed to protect people um, from specific lawsuits, I mean, in this case, family farms, from lawsuits that could potentially um, shut their operation down. Why is a law like this important? You know, lawsuits are never a good thing. Um, we recognize that. Uh, they oftentimes have, have pretty negative outcomes, um, especially for farmers. Um, but, but lawsuits like this can threaten um, farming operations because um, if they are forced to pay a judgment, a lot of times that means that they're going to have to liquidate assets. Either that means selling equipment, maybe selling mm-hmm. land, uh, losing some of their assets just to offset the cost of this judgment. Um, But that's not the only outcome of one of these lawsuits. You could also um, receive an injunction at the end of one of these lawsuits where the court tells you you've got to stop doing the activity that you were engaged in. So basically, uh, you could either have to pay damages to somebody and potentially have to pay again and again and again, Hmm. or you would have to stop the activity altogether. So cease farming or at least cease the kind of farming that you were doing. You'd be forced to convert your operation to something else only then to potentially be sued again and have to stop doing that. Um, so these nuisance lawsuits for farmers can have some pretty negative consequences. Tell us about the lawsuits, what type of lawsuits we're talking about. So uh, typically they're nuisance lawsuits, and, and there's nothing inherently um, devious about a nuisance lawsuit. There are some legitimate uh, uses of a nuisance lawsuit. Um, but what happens in, um, in a nuisance cause of action um, is a disruption in the quiet use and enjoyment of your property. So that's a, a basic property right that everybody has is the right to quietly enjoy their property without disruption from others. Um, in a nuisance lawsuit, you were accusing someone of disrupting that right. Um, and, and in some circumstances, it's legitimate. So say somebody is operating an experimental fireworks factory in their backyard and things are exploding, things are coming onto your property, things are you know, burning your yard, potentially damaging your house, you need to be able to stop that kind of activity and, and to prevent damage from your property. Um, but as the, a nuisance lawsuit is a way to restrict someone's property rights, it can be weaponized against others as well. Hmm. Interesting. So digging in a little bit deeper, what is a right to farm law? I mean, what does it do? So there's there's three main types. Um, all 50 states have adopted some form of a right to farm law. Um, some of them operate on what like kind of a, a time bar. So as long as a farm has been in existence for a certain amount of time, it receives this kind of protection. Um, others use what's kind of called first in time. So if the farm was there first 
and then something else came and, and developed next to it, that development is unable to sue that farm and try to stop them because the farm was operating there first. And is there a time period that it has to be in operation? Not typi- so not typically. That would be the, the, the other category in the time bar. Um, so in first in use, as long as you were using it first, even if you theoretically beat them by a day to it, um, you would have the right there um, as opposed to somebody else. And then the last one, it's, it's the least common, is just really, really strict zoning laws and, and zoning certain areas um, to, to allow certain uses and to, to not allow other uses. Let's take a break from this conversation and talk to one of our good friends down at Alabama Ag Credit. Ben Elliott, how are you doing today? Doing great, Mike. How about you? Great. Well, tell us about Alabama Ag Credit. Well, Mike, Alabama Ag Credit, as most people know, has been around for over 100 years and always been committed to agriculture. So we hope everybody that's out there that, that needs a place in the country always looks to us for those needs. All of our farmers, whether it be row crop, cattle, or equipment, We'd love to help out with everything and, and also reminding everybody about what makes us unique as a cooperative that we do give back to our borrowers in the form of a patronage. And that's just money going back to our borrowers, the help in their operations. And that historically has been up to 1%, which just lowers that cost of, doing, of, of borrowing that money and also shows Alabama Ag Credit's commitment to agriculture by, by making it easier to afford land and be a part of that community. Well, that sounds like a noble cause. Uh, if, if people are interested in this, how can they find out more? They can definitely call the office at 334-270-8686 or visit our website, alabamaagcredit.com, to find an office near them. What does the Alabama Right to Farm law do? So Alabama Right to Farm law, uh, the Alabama Family Farm Preservation Act is one of those time bar laws. So the time limit in the Alabama law is one year. So as long as a farm has been in operation for at least a year and has not been deemed to be a nuisance in that year, that farm now has the protection of the Family Farm Preservation Act. That includes land that you acquire um, to become part of your operation. Uh, It includes land that you lease. So any of that, as long as it has been in operation for one year or more, um, it's going to get the protection. So getting the protection is not the difficult part. Arguably, most farms in the state already have this protection because they've already been in existence for a year um, and and have not been deemed a nuisance through a lawsuit. Right. Keeping the protection is is what is a little more challenging. Well, that's an interesting point. How does the farmer keep the protection uh, under this right to farm law? So there are four uh, main things that farm operators need to do to continue having the protection of the right to farm law. Um, And the first one is fairly simple, and it's just to not operate carelessly. Don't operate your farm in a careless manner um, and and fulfill your legal obligations. Um, And that can be that can mean a lot of things. But uh, for example, if you've signed a, a hunt lease with somebody, you can't then go back and and not allow those people on your property because that can be construed as you failing to fulfill a legal obligation. So if you've got something that you've said you're going to do and you've contracted for it, you've got to do it. But generally speaking, what what this requirement gets at is just doing things the right way, not being negligent in your operation of your farm. So the next thing is that the owner of the operation or the farm needs to be actively participating in the farming operation. Um, That can include leasing the land to somebody else who's farming it. That counts as active participation. Um, but but that that's an easy one to to check that box in that requirement. Um, the third requirement is where um, the most difficulty could arise. And so the the third requirement is that you need to adhere to general customs um, of agri- generally accepted agricultural practices. So farming um, like other fe- people farm, not farming in strange, weird ways. And that that's not the difficult part. But the the other component of this requirement is to avoid violating 
state and federal regulations. So to keep the protection of the right to farm law, you need to be in general compliance with regulations that may affect you. Um, so that means if you're operating a poultry farm um, and you may have a permit to do that, you need to do all of the things that, that you have to do to right. keep, have that permit and then to keep that permit. Um, if you're found to be in violation of, of one of those factors, there's the potential to lose the protection of the right to farm law. And then the last one um, is kind of a strange one, but it's just don't be a, a swine concentrated animal feeding operation. Those uh, operations are actually explicitly excluded from the Alabama law from the protection. Swine in particular. Swine in particular, if you're raising swine in um, traditional hog barns, those actually are not going to be protected by the right to farm law. Um, it was kind of a, a ripple in the, the legislation as it got passed um, in 2010, and it has remained in the law. So um, that is one exception of uh, a category of farms that don't have the protection of this law, but hmm. all other farms could receive the protection. All of the types of farming. Right. A nuisance would generally be brought by a neighbor or a neighborhood or somebody sure. next door. Uh, what about cities and counties? How is this affected? So uh, a, a unique aspect of the Alabama law, and, and some of the other right to farm laws do this, but not all of them, this actually prevents not only private citizens, like we said, from bringing a nuisance lawsuit against you, but it also prevents cities and counties from declaring you a nuisance. So cities and counties have the unique power where their governing bodies, whether it be the county commission or the city council, they could gather together and collectively vote to determine that a property is a nuisance and has to be abated. And so what, whoever owns that property has to cease doing whatever they were doing that was declared a nuisance. Well, this, this our right to farm law prevents cities and counties from doing that. So um, once it's been in operation, once you've received the protection, city and county cannot, um, by resolution or by ordinance, come in and say, oh, you're a nuisance and we're going to stop you. Um, now, cities still have their zoning authority, and if you are operating a farm inside city limits, there's the potential for them to change your zoning uh, requirements and, and could alter what you could do on the farm. But they cannot determine you to be a, a public or private nuisance and stop your operation that way. Yeah, I think the great thing about this law is that it's not just giving you carte blanche to just do whatever on your land and thumb your nose at everybody sure. around you. You've got to be doing what's right. And I think that's what our farmers do. They they treat the land well because their family depends on depends it. On, their uh, lifestyle depends absolutely. on it. Uh, this is great information. What advice do you give the farmers? Out there. So that, that third requirement and, and you know, keeping in conformance with those regulations is, is the most difficult um, part of this. And so that's why it's important to stay abreast of regulations that may affect you. And that's why it's helpful to be um, you know, involved in organizations like the Farmers Federation or other trade organizations that can also be looking out for you as regulations change and keep you aware of those. Um, but ultimately, it's your responsibility to know um, what laws affect you on your operation and to be in compliance with those uh, to receive the protection of this law. Well, John Allen, this has been a very interesting conversation. I know it's an older law, but it, it's great to get uh, reacquainted with it Absolutely. because people can lose track of those things. Sure. Thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. And now stay tuned for our wrap-up with Chris Prevatt. And now, your weekly AgCash wrap-up. This is Chris Prevatt, Commodity Director for the Alabama Farmers Federation. Inflation is not going anywhere. On today's wrap-up, we'll cover interest rates, energy, and supply chain stress. On December 14, 2022, the federal funds rate was raised 0.5% to 4.25 to 4.5%. This was the seventh rate hike this year and the highest level of interest rates in the past 15 years. These higher interest rates are going to make everything more expensive as most businesses operate using credit. Higher interest rates don't bring down prices. 
only demand disruption or a collapse in the demand of a product does or a surplus in the supply of the product. On the energy front, the current reduction in oil and energy prices have been driven lower artificially by the U.S. government. They're dumping oil from our U.S. strategic reserve onto the U.S. market. These are not basic supply and demand fundamentals. Eventually, the U.S. government is going to run out of these strategic reserves and they will have to replenish the reserves at a higher cost. China's lockdowns and zero-tolerance COVID policy has slowed their economy and reduced their consumption of oil and energy to a minimum. The uncertainty surrounding the war in Ukraine and the ongoing sanctions against Russian energy further complicate the global energy market. As soon as China reopens and or the U.S. can no longer dump oil from their strategic reserves, oil and energy prices will move higher again. As we put this all together, higher interest rates and energy prices will further contribute to supply chain disruptions and stress in the marketplace. This will mean ongoing inflated prices for goods and services well into 2023. Alabama AgCast is sponsored by our friends at Alabama AgCredit. Give them a call for all your farm and land financing needs. For more information about today's conversation, check out the show notes or visit alphafarmers.org slash agcast. Be sure to follow Alabama Farmers Federation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next week for another timely conversation from Alabama AgCast.